0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. This is a podcast, a special podcast on the IISC journal. And uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit of its history. And of course, about this particular edition, where the guest editor is our guest on this podcast as well, Professor Vijay Chandri and Adjunct Professor at the IISC. Professor, welcome. Happy to be here, uh, Vivek. Uh... So, Professor, if we can just jump straight in. I was just doing a little bit of uh, reading about the journal. To be honest, I had no idea that there was a journal. And I read that the first journal was in 1914. So that makes this journal uh, over 100 years old.
1: Right. Well, the Indian Institute of Science itself uh, is about 111 years old now. started in 1909. The journal began its first volume in uh,
0: 1914.
1: Yes. Yes. I guess there must have been a few years maybe when there were a few issues that missed out. And of course, the the design, the content Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: must have varied a bit, I'm sure. In the early years, it was largely about uh, probably announcing research results that were coming out of the institute. Mm -hmm. And uh, gradually, for a while, it must have also become like a a standard uh, academic journal uh, attracts sure. submissions from researchers of yes. know, the country and so forth. Right. So, um, you know, I had a first at the institute back um, in the nineties. I I joined the institute uh, in the early nineties as a professor in the computer science department, and um, I recall that around nineteen ninety five, I think. Uh, I co-edited okay. uh, two volume, two uh, oh, wow. issues of uh, volume seventy-five. I think it was. These were special issues on optimization. So this idea of uh, guest editing and uh, and uh, having topical issues probably goes back a while. So I actually had a bit of a hiatus from the campus. You know, went on an entrepreneurial journey mm-hmm. and. Yes. I returned to campus a few years ago, and uh, when I returned to campus, there was uh, I'd come as an adjunct uh, faculty member and an emeritus uh, professor in the sense that I was over 65. So I kind of uh, had um, written up a note on the work I would like to do, and I came back to the Institute, and and I had mentioned that I would like to work uh, towards the topic of digital health. And, right. Uh, That's been sort of uh, a focus of uh, some of my work uh, at the Institute and when um, there were a number of uh, initiatives taken up around uh, this topic of digital health, it's turned out to be quite popular in our group of thirty faculty from around campus. Wow. We're all involved in this initiative, and of course, you know, it's gone far beyond what I had initially sort of conceived. And uh, as a part of that, uh, of course, uh, there have been a number of activities, we've had symposia, we have, uh, you know, talked almost every two weeks uh, to educate ourselves on various topics related right. to digital health. But it is an emerging discipline, and it's not, uh, you know, completely define sort of academic discipline and it's uh, partially uh, developed uh, i would say theoretically and intellectually and so there's there's both knowing and doing going on yes of course uh, in this field and uh, editor in chief professor anand suresh offered uh, a year ago the idea of a guest editorship to bring out um, a special issue
0: of the General right. Science on the topic of mm-hmm. of digital health. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I was intrigued by a couple of things that you said, if I can just touch upon those. The first thing, of course, you said that uh, you received a request from the uh, Editor-in-Chief about a year ago. So am I right in saying that it does it take a year to actually...
1: I think uh, about a year is a good lead time to really think through, you know, how you would like to... Also, remember, now it is not that a whole bunch of people have submitted papers and you're just sort of compiling them and mm-hmm. editing them. Actually, you invite the speakers, I mean the writers, and uh, the way in which the journal now puts its issues out is uh, you. there are four guest editors, so it's a quarterly okay. issue. Each editor is kind of an expert in, in their domain, and so they... You know, essentially then select uh, other experts in the domain to write uh, review papers. And these articles are then put together to bring out the special issues. So a year is a good lead time. Put your thoughts together, sound out right. uh, people to write articles and then uh, going through the whole editorial process of peer right. review and getting all the proofs and the typesetting and typically the publishers needs a couple of months to actually bring out the issues. So last year that is in 2019, mm-hmm. first beginning to, to think about this issue uh, we had also organized an international conference on the topic of digital health. And that conference was coming up in December. And that actually gave me a kind of um, a first pass at selection of a few papers that could uh, be written for this special issue. In fact, at least two of the papers in this issue have have come out directly from that. Uh, And then I started uh, putting my thoughts together on what the issue would look like when, of course, um, early in the year, this whole thing with the the pandemic started going yes. out. Some somewhere it was almost like the perfect storm for digital right. health.
0: Right. Because, yes.
1: Uh, all of a sudden, uh, any uh, you know, because of the need to distance, and uh, so mm-hmm. the use of digital became very uh, central to to all human interaction, including the delivery of healthcare. Of course. So I think. Um, you know, it just seemed like a, an important time to have this special issue come out. And the interesting thing was that there was a lot of activity. Amongst the academic community to respond to the crisis. And, and I think as they were responding to the crisis, there was innovation, there was ways in which people were approaching this. And uh, it occurred to me that there was a great opportunity to actually document some of that, right? And this one has well over 20 articles. And that's because, um, you know, there just seemed a lot of important work uh, related to the pandemic and the response to the pandemic, which all Touched very centrally on the theme of digital health and uh, made sense to bring into the issue. I've sort of uh, laid out the issue in uh, with a series of sections in them. So the first section is sort of on policy and practice. Uh, and I thought it was important because of, uh, you know, the nature of this wicked mm-hmm. pandemic that has mm-hmm. disrupted uh, life, that, uh, you know, we should also hear something about the policy. And so we have one of India's leading legal experts on privacy, uh, Mr. Rahul Martin, who's a piece the privacy implications, um, right. particularly in the circumstance of a pandemic where you know, there is a need to take some extraordinary measures. There were issues of um, how do you design systems for contact mm-hmm. tracing? And again, you know, but privacy preserving contact tracing? Is that possible? And ISE actually was running probably one of the most exciting experiments with a platform called Go Corona Go. And then there was a really interesting aspect to digital health, which I really wanted to bring out. And the philosopher Heidegger, has, uh, who uh, was written about um, questions concerning technology, said that when we think of technology, we should think not just of the instrumental or the technology as a means to an end, but also how it actually relates to people and uh, how it relates to society. Um, and um, and so one of the interesting aspects of this COVID pandemic was that there were lots of collectives that were forming. And so there was one particular uh, group that I uh, participated in that I was really you know, excited by. And this was uh, it was called the COVID Study Circle. And you can keep physicians and virologists and, uh, you know, public health guys and scientists like me who were just curious. So I asked the moderators of the Study Circle to document um, the Study Circle as an experiment in digital health, because, you know, they had to use digital uh, because of we course. couldn't meet as a collective. And uh, so it was all done on Zoom. They used a Slack channel to, to share uh, papers, to keep abreast of uh, Twitter. It's very, very exciting and uh, very, a new way of collaborating, and a new way of, of dealing with, uh, with disaster, right? So that, I thought, you know... Also needed documenting. That sort of, uh, I've just got through one cluster, sweat. <laughs> so I'll yeah. be quick now. But uh, <laughs> then we, of course, had um, a very classical um, computational and systems biology type of digital, bio, you know, digital health uh, patients, right. which um, which got into things like uh, how do you build a digital twin of an organ like a liver? The author of that is uh, Dr. Kalyana Sundaram Subramaniam, And um, Gas, wow. as we call him, uh, built such a, such a model of a liver uh, wow. years ago and, um, and um, which is you know actually being used um, for profiling drug toxicity. so he describes that. There was a very interesting article by Professor Mishra, along with a collective of almost a hundred scientists call themselves Rxcovia. so this notion <laughs> of a collective you know naming them as a single author, really spooked the publishers and uh, they didn't quite know how to typeset it. You know, they had problems with their system without having to do it and so on. But the the group calls itself RxCovia. RxCovia actually stands for Cure, COVID, Forever and for All. Okay. So um, it's a group of brilliant scientists, uh, mostly based in the US, but also in Europe. And again, it was a study group uh, that I participated in. And then we had uh, a section on more traditional sort of digital health informatics, with, uh, as I pointed out, you know, electronic health records, classically considered a, a health IT sort of area. This business of collecting and preventive screening of uh, non-communicable diseases at a population scale. Things like uh, representing heat maps of uh, how disease spreads across uh, geographical regions and an open data platform that uh, was described. And then some, you know, AI type of uh, knowledge and automated reasoning methods for causal modeling of, um, you know, One Health. Uh, so essentially, how zoonotic spread of diseases, how you could reason about uh, zoonosis. And then, you know, how people were putting together web resources that dealt with uh, all the COVID topics and uh, using various uh, AI methodologies uh, uh, of text mining and text analytics. And then we come to a section on precision health technologies, where we're looking at uh, data analytics in uh, disease diagnostics and and in particular in genomics, uh, where you you actually get um, very um, data-intense Experimental results. So Dr. Vamsi uh, Vereh a very renowned bioinformatician in the country, has written that and we had a very um, elaborate uh, description of uh, healthcare through digital revolutions and uh, by Sriram from the National Institute of Standards in the US and Subramanian who's uh, was at Carnegie Mellon and uh, then the impact of uh, internet of things in healthcare you know as we all know the age of uh, wearables point of care devices so that um, the clinic goes to the patient rather than the other way around And then some very clever ideas on testing in the case of COVID testing using something called compressed sensing or pooling group testing is um, described in a paper there. And then the last section, the last section, last collection of papers were all about COVID, its spread, how we were modeling it, how we were analyzing it, Mm -hmm. whether it was mathematical models or a city scale simulator that was built at ISC, by the way, the city-scale agent simulator built with 13 million agents, which meant that every, for every individual in a resident of Bangalore, there was an agent. And this was one of the great triumphs of the data scientists uh, at right. ISC. And then there were also very interesting you know, approaches using small world communities. There was a group of faculty talked to before, I think. Aditya yes. They did a lot of interesting work uh, with, the, with the city authorities to mm-hmm. containment areas. And so that's described here. And then uh, we had some review papers from uh, Stanford, which had looked at how data reporting across India was done and how robust was that. And then finally, I think um, to sort of top off the, the section, we have a paper by by probably the world's leading group of epidemiologists, computational epidemiologists at the University of Virginia, led by uh, Professor Madhav Marate. And uh, there are several ISE alumni who are also in that group. And uh, they, they've written a very nice paper on modeling, um, data-driven modeling for different stages of pandemic response. So in fact, that paper is almost like a blueprint of what we need to build to be better prepared for the next uh, pandemic and how we could use these data-driven strategies to lessen the impact so you know it's a vast issue there's lots and lots of yes uh, different uh, aspects that have been brought out and yet in some ways there are gaps i mean they, that's mm-hmm. unavoidable this was not meant to be an encyclopedia or completely yeah. definitive book on uh, digital health uh, of course so some of the gaps i think we probably, you know, could have had a little bit more about um, digital mission itself or, you know, although it's just sort of starting to become clear what that's about. There's also a lot of excitement about telemedicine. And I, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I don't think we have really covered that one well here. So that means uh, there's another issue <laughs> the general that can probably appear on uh, related topics. But there were, there were a couple of new features in this issue, which I thought I should just...
0: Yes, I wanted to, uh, to just come to that, which is, I think, uh, the lead article and also the shorter correspondences, like, right? Yeah.
1: So the shorter correspondences I mentioned. You mentioned, uh, was, yes. What I call communication. So those were integrated. Mm-hmm. Some of the, you know, interspersed articles are communications. and uh, But we haven't called them out as um, communications per se. Right. There's a book review, uh, which I guess is a pretty standard feature. Book review is interesting because it's about... Um, This uh, book written by Chandrasekharan of the Tata's um, digital nation, uh, um, you know, trying to address uh, technology's people problem, as he calls it. And that was reviewed by the deputy director of the Institute, uh, Professor Rudra Pratap. So the idea of a lead article was discussed um, about halfway through while this issue was coming together. And, um, you know, uh, we thought that uh, This particular issue could actually be the first one with the lead article. And so a couple of um, professional journalists and writers have written a Cover article, and I I love the title, which uh, says yes. health is the motive and digital the instrument, right? In a way that uh, that title you know explains a lot. Uh, yeah,
0: it sort of brings it all together. No,
1: it brings it together. So what we're all striving for in this mission of digital health is to is to provide health, better health care, and for people everywhere. And uh, digital is sort of the technology or the instrument that we use um, and. Yet, as I pointed out earlier, uh, technology is not just instrumental; it's also anthropological. So that comes out for me. It was um, it was an extraordinary journey to put mm-hmm. this together, and I hope the readers enjoy it. And I think I've learned a lot from with the contributors, and the papers, and um, you know, just assembling the project
0: together. Right? Let me ask you an uh, what might be an unfair question to sort of. Uh, maybe end this do you have a favorite article <laughs> you can well, decline to answer uh, in the interests of
1: propriety I, yeah yeah i should probably decline but i you know i will say that probably an extraordinary article is the article by the isc group on the city scale modeling because um the kind of effort that went into building those models you know they were used both for the city of bengaluru and Mumbai so I shouldn't have said it is by IISc alone. There's also a group of authors, uh, co-authors who are from the Tata Institute of Fundamental Research in Mumbai, uh, who are also involved in this paper. You know, and these folks have continued to collaborate, and um, and we should be seeing sort of more articles and uh, results right. coming from the collaboration. I just think it's shown that even in a short period of time you could create population scale models um, using the computer and the digital. And, you know, maybe in the years to come, um, these types of models will, will actually be used on a regular basis to monitor uh, challenges that we're going to see. I mean, all of us are now so, you know, affected by COVID that we've stopped thinking about dengue or chikungunya, you know, encephalitis, you know, many of the other challenges that Mm -hmm. are still around. And once you have uh, this type of infrastructure that has been created, it can have a very, you know, important impact. And I think, this is the start for me uh, to see the emergence of what you might call a disaster management or disaster right. science as an in interdisciplinary focus, mm-hmm. which, you know, is interesting. It's uh, Disaster studies have uh, not really been very effectively put together uh, in the West. It's actually uh, countries like China and Japan. Japan really is a forerunner in all of this. because, you know, they've had such challenges with, you know, with weather and uh, earthquakes and their resilience and their, able- their ability to bounce back. Something that um, makes us really wonder, wow, what what uh, you know makes that possible. And of course, some of it is anthropological, their their uh, national character, and so on. But they've also invested a lot in technology and science of, of disaster management. What I hope is that the start that we have in digital will lead us in that direction as well. Uh,
0: one last question, uh, Professor, if you have five minutes, the journal and the latest content and the older content can, of course, be found online at iscacin slash journal. Mm-hmm. But uh, how does one, if someone is listening to this and wishes to contribute or wishes to be involved or wishes to get in touch uh, regarding an article that they have written, or an idea they may have for publishing. Is that a possibility? Is it an open source platform in that sense?
1: Um, it's not, because I right. think the way it is actually together is, um, is through by invitation. Right. But I have seen that uh, occasionally people do submit through the Springer platform, and then the, the article is passed on. But it's probably easier for them to just read the editorial board. See if they, their article,
0: you know, in dovetails the, with themes.
1: Otherwise, it would be kind of uh, a shot in the dark, right? So,
0: I mean, I'd love to talk to you about the editing process itself, but I think that's a whole different conversation, uh, <laughs> you know.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, uh, in some ways, I'm a reasonably old hand at it. So, although I've had a little bit of a gap, uh, you know, as I'm editing, I think, three issues of, uh, of this journal. Um I also spent several years as an editor of a journal for science education called Resonance, I which see. is brought out by the Indian Academy of Sciences, and yeah. uh, and that position I held for about five years. So right, so I have right. I mean, you some experience.
0: <laughs> yes, um, I mean, so I...
1: <laughs> it's um, and then, you know it sort of goes along with the academic. Uh, Life and you know, if of course, you're, if you're active in research, uh, you know you have to do your bit in reviewing and editing. And so we've all had some level of practice. At that Right?
0: Yeah, I actually I'm very curious about this. So if you just indulge me another three minutes, I mean, obviously not all academics are good writers, right? How does a person, a researcher, or a scientist fill that gap in their own life cycle as a as an academician?
1: So what? Uh, you know, it's partly i think the responsibility of of uh, the academic advisors when you're early stages of becoming a professional scientist maybe mm-hmm. you're doing mm-hmm. your phd you know and good teachers will actually help you with communication as well thanks communication and um, you know some people have obviously language difficulties because they've learned that Technical skills well, but they haven't mm. actually had yeah, kind of, of educational course. background where they also stay in English, uh, command of the language, and so on is mm-hmm. a, a challenge, mm-hmm. and their style of writing. Yes. As a PhD advisor, I would just keep copies of uh, elements of writing style, mm. strunk and white, in my office and would make sure that every PhD student got a copy of that. <laughs> right. And, uh, and then, you know, they would, of course, they would, of course, uh, learn a, a bit from the fact that when they wrote something, I would mark it up.
0: And, yes, there's a feedback process. And or
1: It is an apprenticeship, right? Uh, right. You know, I would say that, it's almost the responsibility of uh, of, of the, the advisor
0: to right
1: in that obviously it doesn't always work because we know <laughs> yeah, of course it's actually a major malaise because uh, when you think about it um, scientific temper of a society is really in some ways also dependent on how well the scientists communicate and i think um, you know we just haven't paid enough attention to science communication you open a newspaper or a magazine or, you know, or you turn on the television, you know, how many times you actually see professional scientists actually, you know, uh, writing or communicating? And I think uh, it's a profession that I hope more young people will take to. Mm. Because I, in some ways, it's actually led to the degeneration of communication. In a dangerous situation in the world today where you know truth doesn't seem to matter and I think the only the only way to fix that is to have scientific temper yes um, that is um, you know pervasive and and that can only happen if there's an effort to bring about that scientific temper not yeah. that it has to be done only by scientists. But I think it helps to see how science will sort out things that are true or yes. false. And there's, there's a certain way of uh, addressing hypotheses and testing and so on, which can become a way of thinking, which I think is be better served if, uh, if scientists
0: became better communicators. Well, anyway, on that note, thank you so much, uh, Professor. Uh, for being with us. And for those of you who are listening and are interested in reading this issue as well as past issues of the journal, uh, the URL is iisc.ac.in/slash iisc journal. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.